<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Thursday, December 5th, 2019. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, the FTC might be broadening its look into Amazon. The new flagship Snapdragon chips are interesting because they don't have 5G in them. A disc-free Xbox might be coming. Check-ins with Slack, Imager, and Robinhood, and Craigslist enters the 21st century. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. As the behind-the-scene investigations of the tech giants by various agencies rolls on, I'm somewhat loath to cover all of the drip, drip, drip of rumors and details leaking out. I mean, it would be endless and probably become monotonous. So we'll probably largely wait until the time comes that actual charges are filed or about to be filed if that day ever comes. But this little wrinkle does seem important to me, even if on the surface it's just another rumor. Sources are telling Bloomberg that the Federal Trade Commission and its investigators, who have been looking into Amazon's e-commerce business practices, have widened their scope to begin asking software companies about Amazon's practices with AWS. But if these sources are to be believed, it does seem that if AWS also comes into the FTC's crosshairs, it's because the FTC thinks it's seeing a larger pattern here, quoting Bloomberg. AWS accounted for 60% of Amazon's operating income in the most recently reported 12 months. The unit's profitability in recent years has helped keep investors happy even as the company continues to spend heavily to expand both its retail and cloud computing businesses. Amazon also sells an array of products that run on top of those basic services, such as databases, machine learning tools, and data warehousing products. It competes with hundreds of other software companies, large and small, that offer similar products. One issue the FTC could look at is whether Amazon has an incentive to discriminate against those software companies, which sell their products to clients of AWS, while at the same time competing with Amazon. The fear is that Amazon could punish the companies that work with other cloud providers and favor those that it works with exclusively. The dynamic echoes that in Amazon's retail marketplace, where third-party sellers depend on the platform to reach customers because of its size, but in many cases they also compete with Amazon's own products. That's a conflict that threatens competition, according to critics, end quote. Samsung held its fourth annual Snapdragon Summit this week in Maui, which, you know, Samsung. I cover hardware events now, so next year, just saying. Anyway, the big news was the official announcements of the Snapdragon 865 and 765 chips. And just having groveled for a ticket to Maui, I do want to defer to the folks at Anantech who do a much better job covering chip news than I ever could. Quote, This year, 
Qualcomm isn't launching just one system on a chip, but rather two new platforms at the same time. The Snapdragon 865 is self-explanatory in its positioning. As a direct successor to the Snapdragon 855, we expect the new chip to represent the best Qualcomm is able to deliver and be the silicon that powers most of 2020's flagship devices. The new top model this year is accompanied by the new Snapdragon 765 and 765G system-on-a-chips. As with other 7-series models since the launch of the new range, the new generation adds on to the new features introduced with the new Snapdragon 865 at a lower performance level and a more affordable price for what is becoming an increasingly popular device category, end quote. But there is one very surprising aspect to that new high-end chip, the 865. The 865 does not have an integrated 5G modem, which is surprising because, you know, everything is going to be 5G this year. And also, Qualcomm didn't leave out the 5G modem because it couldn't make it work. The 765, the cheaper chip, does have the integrated modem. So why does the flagship, or flagship, I guess, not have one? Turns out there are very practical reasons. Quote, the technical difficulty of the 5G modem platform is actually on the platform and device side itself, as this will be the very first wide-range 5G implementation of a lot of OEM vendors who use Qualcomm's chips. There will be a large number of designs that will be integrating 5G for the first time. The problem is that this requires a quite large development increase for the vendors creating the devices. They need to make sure their RF systems, antenna designs, as well as certifications of the systems are in full order. The nature of the 5G design complexity means that this process in a device's development cycle this time around is actually quite a lot more complicated and more time-consuming than what we've seen from past 4G phones. Qualcomm's solution to the problem in order to facilitate the vendor's device development cycle, is to separate the modem from the rest of the application processor, at least for this generation. The X55 modem has had a lead time to market, being available earlier than the Snapdragon 865 system on a chip by several months. OEM vendors thus would have been able to already start developing their 2020 handset designs on the X55 and S855 platform, focusing on getting the RF subsystems right, and then once the S865 becomes available, it would be a rather simple integration of the new AP without having to do much changes to the connectivity components of the new device design. Qualcomm's explanation makes a lot of sense in practical terms and would bring time-to-market advantages. The company explains that in the future, it would reintegrate the modem back into the system on a chip, and this generation's choices just made more sense for today's situation in the market. Qualcomm isn't the only one to have made such a choice. Samsung's Exynos 990 system on a chip makes the exact same design decisions shipping the main system on a chip as a simple application processor without any modem, although we don't have any official backstory on their rationale for the design choice, end quote. Sources are telling Kotaku that Microsoft is planning to release a cheaper, disc-free version of the Xbox. The codename for this upcoming version is Lockhart, and it will go alongside the upcoming high-end version expected next year, codenamed Project Scarlet. Quote, If those names sound familiar, that's because they've been floating around for a while. The earliest rumors about Microsoft's next-gen roadmap circa 2018 
suggested that Project Scarlet would consist of two Xbox models, the high-performance Anaconda and the lower-end Lockhart. In June, however, Microsoft announced that Scarlet was a single high-end console, which led to speculation and then press reports that Lockhart had been canceled. But Kotaku has learned that Lockhart is, in fact, still in the works as a cheaper digital-only alternative to Scarlet, as the original rumors suggested. What we don't know and what is likely not finalized yet, is how the pricing will shake out. But it's easiest to think of Anaconda as a successor to the Xbox One X and Lockhart as a successor to the Xbox One S with a similar performance disparity. Game developers will be expected to support both Anaconda and Lockhart, which some are worried might hamper their ambitions for next-gen games in the coming years. When speaking to Kotaku, one game developer briefed on Lockhart analogized it to the PlayStation 4 Pro in terms of raw graphical power, although there are other key differences that might make up for that. Lockhart is said to have a solid-state drive, like both Anaconda and Sony's upcoming PlayStation 5, which is expected to have a significant impact on loading times. Developers briefed on Lockhart also say it has a faster CPU than any current video game console, which could allow for higher frame rates, although there are other factors that might not become clear until the console is completely finalized, such as clock speed and cooling, end quote. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop that has its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months. Or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it all works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride, collide.com slash ride. How do you make a password that's strong enough so no one will guess it and it's impossible for you to forget and do it for a hundred different sites and make it so everyone in your company can do the same without ever needing to reset them? Sounds impossible unless you have one password. More than any other product I've ever told you about, I can vouch 1000% for 1Password. I can't live without it. 1Password makes strong security easy for your people and gives you the visibility you need to take action when you need to. Any device, any time, 1Password lets you securely switch between iPhone, Android, Mac, and PC with convenient features like autofill for quick sign-ins. All you have to remember is the one strong account password that protects everything else. Your logins, your credit cards, secure notes, or the office Wi-Fi password. 1Password's award-winning password manager is trusted by millions of users and over 100,000 businesses from IBM to 
into Slack. It beat out 40 other options to become Wirecutter's top pick for password managers. Right now, my listeners get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride for your growing business. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash ride. Don't let security slow your business down. Go to onepassword.com slash ride. I wanted to do a quick check-in with a unicorn that went public this year just to see how they're doing. Slack has reported Q3 revenue of $168.7 million, up 60% year-over-year, beating analyst estimates. Also, Slack's losses are narrowing, and the company raised its full-year outlook based on this key metric. Slack's paying customers grew to 105000 up 30% year-over-year. And quoting the Wall Street Journal, Slack said it had more than 50 customers that each generate $1 million or more in annual revenue, a newly disclosed figure, up from more than 30 a year ago. It also has 821 customers with greater than $100,000 in annual revenue apiece, up 67% from a year ago. The company posted a net loss of $89.2 million for the fiscal third quarter, or $0.16 a share, compared with a net loss of $47.7 million, or $0.39 a share a year earlier. Excluding stock-based compensation and other items, though, Slack posted a quarterly loss of $0.02 a share, compared with a loss of $0.08 a share analysts polled by FactSet had forecast, end quote. And yesterday, we checked in with Reddit, so... It seemed apt to do a quick check-in with Imager, since Imager is so symbiotic with sites like Reddit. Imager says it now has 300 million monthly active users. Video game and board game tags are the most popular tags on Imager, with 46% of users following them. And thus, quoting TechCrunch, that's why today Imager is launching Melee, the company's first app beyond its flagship product. Melee lets users subscribe to the games they love to get a feed of memes and gameplay clips. It's an elegant way to prevent you from seeing jokes you don't understand or feats of skill you don't care about. You can also scroll through a popular post feed if you're curious about unfamiliar games. Melee debuts today on iOS with an Android version coming in Q1 2020 and a desktop version down the road. Quote, Gamers are constantly taking recordings and screenshots of the games they're playing, Imager founder and CEO Alan Schaff tells me, quote, but we found that there's no place for gamers to share those clips. We want to give these highlights a home. If 62% of surveyed Imagerians, Imager, Imagerians, consider themselves gamers, and the average one already spends 30 minutes per day on Imager, despite it being a general purpose image sharing network, there was clearly room to build something just for them. Schaff says, quote, Imager is interested in building things the internet wants, end quote. And let's check in with another unicorn, a check-in that is maybe not so rosy. As this Fortune magazine lead puts it, does this sound familiar to you? A high-flying unicorn raises a ton of money at a crazy valuation, despite the fact that lots of people wondered how the company would ever find a path to solid profitability, much less actually unicorn-sized margins, especially because they're in a notoriously low-margin industry. 
Well, in this case, we're not talking about WeWork or Uber or Lyft. We're talking about Robinhood, and the industry is finance and investing. Robinhood is one of the quintessential unicorns of its generation, often mentioned alongside those others we just listed, as well as Airbnb. Robinhood was going to disrupt retail investing. They have 10 million accounts. They're popular with millennials, and they've raised a total of $900 million, most recently at a $7.6 billion valuation. An IPO is rumored to be in the works. Except, again, those concern trolls who wonder if there's actually anything there there have popped up again. And by there there, I mean the magical margins that Robinhood was promising, especially because there are a flood of competitors who have basically copied what Robinhood has done, especially its key differentiator of free stock trades. So now... Is Robinhood facing grinding it out for pennies in the same low-margin industry they were supposed to upend? Is there a WeWork-style struggle to convince public market investors that their valuation is earned? Quoting Fortune, According to data shared with Fortune by one of Robinhood's competitors, the company's lifetime revenue to date is between $600 and $650 million, while 20 to 25% of its current income comes from interest on customers' accounts and 55% from so-called order flow, rebates kicked back to brokerages from market makers and other third parties that execute their orders. Robinhood declined to comment on the figures, though the 55% order flow number is consistent with recent reports that say the startup has been making it an even bigger part of its business. Meanwhile, a source close to the company said Robinhood has, quote, a very strong balance sheet and that the, quote, vast majority of the money it raised is untouched. This still leaves the question of how the company plans to make a profit. Robinhood won't say if it is in the black, but all signs are the answer is no, despite a recent initiative to save money by building its own clearing system. While its increased reliance on order flow has juiced revenue, it's unclear if this is sustainable, especially as Robinhood has been sending those customer orders to high-frequency trading firms. This practice, say critics, raises the potential for conflict of interest since those firms are assuredly not interested in giving Robinhood customers the lowest price on shares. There is also concern that regulators, who have been uneasy with order flow arrangements in the past, may revisit the issue at a time when more brokerages are telling retail investors that their service is, quote, free. Finally, there is the question of how many of the 10 million accounts Robinhood is touting are active and how much money the average one contains. The startup declined to comment on this question, but it's unlikely the value of those accounts is comparable to those at the more boring but profitable competitors like E-Trade or Charles Schwab, end quote. So I don't raise stories like this lightly. I'm not trying to pile on. I, myself like the Robinhood experience, and of course, it's worth noting that they've been a sponsor of the show. But just as we did with Uber as it graduated from Unicorn to Public Company, and especially as we did with WeWork, I think it's worth noting the concerns around business models that some folks whisper about, especially if Robinhood is about to try to woo public market investors. It's my job to tell you about those whispers so that you can be in the know too. If Robinhood does have trouble being convincing, this is the reason why. And this would be from the better late than never question mark file. Craigslist 
which has been around since 1995, has finally gotten around to launching an official mobile app, which is available now on iOS and is in beta on Android. You might remember that not only has Craigslist dragged its feet on getting into the app and mobile game, but there was a time when Craigslist also actively thwarted people that tried to appify or at least make mobile-friendly skins of the Craigslist service. Well, no more, quoting Gizmodo. Like the website, the mobile app is extremely simple. No frills, bells, or whistles. The app's overall design mimics the website as well, meaning it's mostly just text and a clean interface. As you'd imagine, that makes the app extremely fast and easy to load. There's also a post tab that streamlines posting straight from your phone. Not that making a Craigslist post was ever hard, but the app does make the process a lot smoother. Right now, the app ranks number 14 in the App Store's shopping category and has an overall 4.6 out of 5-star rating from 63 reviewers. Not too shabby considering version 1.0 dropped just yesterday, end quote. As Jeremy C. Owens tweeted, Less than a month before the decade ends, Craigslist has finally entered it. And Casey Newton tweeted what was precisely my first thought on seeing this as well. Quote, Okay, I need to formally apologize to Twitter for always saying they're slow to execute. Because... Nothing interesting to leave you with again today either. It's been a crazy busy week behind the scenes over here for reasons that I'll be able to tell you about on Monday. Until then... I will talk to you again tomorrow.